Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, and a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. My Mari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Bryce, again, it sounds like a huge flex when you just wave your, your, your wife and kids at us, but it's okay. Amari, I thought you were going to sing for us in this one. I, I'm finding out via Twitter how much of a singer you are, so I thought you were going to come in this week singing your intro. <laughs> yeah, so my buddy Rashad, who's I've known probably since third grade, uh, shout out Rashad, he's been here this episode, uh, mentioned to me and Bryce on, on Twitter that me and him uh, competed for class singer in eighth grade, and I defeated him. Uh, he said it was unfair, but it was actually very fair and square. Uh, I don't have a great singing voice. Like, I'm more so looking like holding note and, uh, you know, for, like, full transparency. Like, I'm not hiding, like, a very white voice over here. So I don't think anyone necessarily needs to hear me sing. Maybe if I lose a, a, a bet, we'll uh, arrange something. No, nah, I don't think I want to inflict that on our listeners. I feel like after 25 episodes, we're not have that level of trust yet. So maybe 35, 40 episodes, yeah. We'll get to that point. <laughs> I will keep that in mind for the next bet. But I think our guest today may have a little bit of dirt on you with the singing as well. I want to know if he has heard you sing because I know you guys go way back. So I'm going to introduce him and then you guys can let the listeners know. Laz Jackson, everyone's favorite Pistons fan and content creator, co-host of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast with Ben Golker, contributor and editor at Detroit Bad Boys, and proud father of Chance. Laz, welcome to the Pistons Pulse. What can you tell us about Omari's singing voice? I'm actually a little disappointed that I didn't know Omari had pipes. It's <laughs> uh, like uh, maybe we should have done more karaoke instead of those bowling nights at the State News. But uh, yeah, like... Now, now I'm curious to hear it myself. He says he's not hiding a very white voice, but he's got like the baritone in him. It's like I, I could see it. I could see it. That would be that would be fun to see. Yeah, I don't want to get people's hopes up too high. It's you know I'm more of like a Drake singer where I need a little bit more attitude to keep everything in line. Shout out to Laz Jackson. So I've known like me and Jack, Laz have known each other probably since 2012. Uh, both went to Michigan State. Both worked for the State News. Although I don't think I don't think we actually overlapped. But uh, when I got to the State News, I was like. The guy who always watched the, the Pistons and everybody was like, oh, you got to meet Laz. Like, Laz uh, also loved the, the Pistons. And I think, like, one of our first parties that fall uh, yep. or, like, winter or whatever, like, I remember you showing up and I was, like, first time we talked Twitter. No, I mean, Pistons and fought each other on Twitter. And, yeah, Pistons Twitter legend. Most of our listeners probably already know, you know, your Pistons background and whatnot. But it's just great to have you on the pod, man. It's just, like, been a 10-year, like, <laughs> like to get to the point where we're doing podcasts and whatnot. Like, it's really cool. Well, I mean, we took very divergent paths, like, after that party as well, right? Like, you did the whole stint in Pittsburgh. You covered the Grizzlies. You, like, did it real big. And then, like, I left journalism entirely. <laughs> so, it's like, this is <laughs> this is my side thing now. Like, it's nice to have. It's nice to be able to still be a fan. I know you can't be a fan anymore, unfortunately. You got, like take out that part of yourself and like put it on the table when you walk in the door every day. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, I've been really like pleased with to see like your career grow and like how, where you've been at so far. And like, it's been, it's been great to see. And like Bryce, of course, like Bryce is brand new to all this, but he's still just like coming up so quick. It's crazy. I feel like, uh, it's like, I'm, I'm kind of like an OG in like Pistons Twitter, but like, I don't feel that old yet, yet, yet. The kids age you though, for sure. (laughs) I will say shout out to uh, my wife, my lovely wife. It is our seven year anniversary uh, today. Oh, and so happy anniversary. Yeah, yes. We, we did some, we did uh, like a little staycation thing last night. So like we're good for today. 
but uh, she's not going to listen to this podcast, but she would be mad <laughs> if I didn't say like that it, today was our wedding anniversary. So absolutely happy, uh, happy wedding anniversary, baby. Happy anniversary. No, Thank you. Well shout out. Yeah. Shout out to your wife for letting you record with us on a, a Sunday and on your anniversary. And on this episode, we're going to have some fun, guys. We're going to play what if. So there's going to be some positive ones, some negative ones. Send us your thoughts, what you think about these. You can send, D, DM us on Twitter, send us an email, whatever it is. Me and Wes came up with 30. Obviously, that's way too many. We're not going to get into all of them. We had Laz go through, bless his heart, and and pick out his favorite ones. And so we're just going to start off and see where this leads us. The first one, Laz, that you picked out, what if the Pistons actually play at a top 10 pace in the NBA this season? It's like this is so fun because it's like, A, that would make for a more entertaining on-court product, right? Like more... More uh, more dunks, more turnovers, more like runouts, more transition plays. Just fun to watch. Um, B, they actually have the personnel to play faster because of like the additions of Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duren. And even like you think about a guy like Marvin DeBagley would also probably be better in a more up and down system. And C, it's like it might actually help them be like a top 15, top 16, top 17 team in offense. It's like maybe if you're just like pushing the pace constantly. It's like I know a lot of offensive state uh, stats are like per 100 possessions or whatever. And so pace doesn't like really uh, affect those as much. But like on a per game basis, if you're just running up and down the floor all the time, you're going to score more points. And so like I think I think this would be something that Pistons fans would really enjoy. Just like a better, a more like quick paced product to watch on the floor uh, every night. I don't know if it would mean anything in terms of wins and losses, but uh, it'd be fun. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm curious to see if there's just like a push and pull with Jaden Ivey and Kate Cunningham. Like, I, like I don't be like Kate joke that he's not fast, and I don't think he's like a slow player per se. But he's also not Jaden Ivey, so I'm just curious like how they kind of figure that out uh, at the start of the season. Uh, I mean, I think a top ten pace. Like, I'd have to go back and look at uh, the history of the Pistons where they ranked in pace every year. But like, I feel like I would probably put money on them not ever being top 10 in like the last <laughs> uh, 15 years like I just I'm trying to think of like the fastest teams they've had and uh, they really haven't had a lot of quick ball handlers like maybe Will Bynum uh, you know back when he was a starter back in 2013 or whatever year it was yeah I mean I would be curious to see but they turned me off the person though for it this season and uh, Dwayne always just talked about wanting to get out of transition more as well um so, yeah, I'm curious to see what that looks like for sure. But I would think that they would be an above average offensive team if they can't play that fast. Is there anybody on the roster that wouldn't fit that? Like I've kind of, you know, looked up and down and, and I think Cade can fit in any kind of pace or style. We've talked about that. I think he would be playing faster. I think it'd be huge for Killian Hayes, Hamadou Diallo, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, all these guys. Is there a guy where you're like, man, maybe that doesn't fit him quite as much. Isaiah Livers is a guy we've talked about. Does he not look quite as good as that connector piece if they're playing faster Isaiah Stewart Kelly Olenek is there someone who you're like yeah I don't know that this really fits them quite as much Stu's main strength is on the defensive end like as a switch guy and so I would be worried about him like holding up from a physical perspective like he's obviously like a physical beast he's in great shape but like if he's running up and down the floor and all then the time and then you're also asking him to like contain on defense and switch everything and, and like attack the glass since like nobody else or since the other uh 
the other wings are not necessarily like known for being great rebounders. I would wonder about like his like how he would feel in that kind of uh in that kind of system. You know, that's that's like you're right, Bryce. Like the rest of the roster, I guess that'd be a, that's a small price to pay. I'm also curious about Killian just from a decisiveness standpoint, but obviously from you know just like as a passer, he could find guys like Isaiah Livers. He's not the quickest guy, but just being able to shoot, he could just leak out. Yeah, I say that's probably the one I have the most question marks about. Uh, but if he can shoot, then obviously that solves a lot of issues as well. Laz mentioned switching right there. So we're going to go to the second what if. And we're going to stay with some X's and O's, but on the defensive end. What if the Pistons don't switch every single screen this season like we saw towards the end of last season? I do want to make a quick note. It does sound like Jerome Allen is going to be running the defense as opposed to assistant coach Rex Kalamian, who was running it for at least last season. I would be interested to see this. I want to see them switch less only because I think uh, playing more drop is going to be more conducive to the long-term strengths of like Jalen Duren and Cade Cunningham. It's like, I, we know Cade can play defense. We know, we know Cade is like a good, like off ball defender. And so like you, you do kind of want to switch him like out of matchups, but at the same time, like I want to be able to take advantage of his, his length, compared to like other point guards or other you know other primary ball handlers and so you do kind of want him like being able to trail over screens being able to defend from behind get guys in position to take really tough shots and then kind of just going from there Uh, i do think like scheme versatility is really important um you do need to be able if this team is going to be able to be good and like make some noise in the playoffs you do need to be able to play multiple defensive schemes and so uh but i think first they would need to be able to find success with with one scheme which uh, as we've seen from like the breakdowns that Bryce has done has done uh, like that didn't that didn't happen very often last season and so uh you, you maybe you you'd like ideally yeah you'd love to be able to they could play a bunch of different defenses flawlessly like Nick Nurse's Toronto Raptors but they're they're not at that place right now yeah I think I'm aligned with Laz on this uh, just making more personnel dependent um if you have Isaiah Stewart sort of like as your small ball five you could switch a lot of stuff and feel good about it uh, if it's Marvin Bagley, uh, you probably don't feel good about it. Uh, Duran, of course, probably more of a drop big. And uh, Duran did say he could switch a little bit. Um, I'd just be curious to see that in action uh, because he is 6'11". And that's one thing I'll be watching for next season is when he's on the court, do teams try to you know bring him away from the rim and how does he handle himself in those situations. So they have the person though to switch. It's just not uniform up and down the roster. Uh, you know, it's not like the Clippers where you have like 11 wings were between 6'7 and 6'9. So it's more so, so, so selective, I would say, more so than every single one like last season. And I'm definitely curious to see what Jerome Allen's defense looks like compared to Rex Galamia. Yeah, I mean, I think you brought up, Laz, I like the idea of versatility where they can run different coverages. But like you said, you have to be at least decent at each of those coverages to do that. And I do wonder about these guards. Sadiq Bey, how is he going to play as a on-ball defender in drop coverage? You know, getting over the screen, Cade Cunningham, I think Killian would be really good at it. But you have that other aspect of it as well. It's not just about the bigs. It's also about the guards and being able to navigate the ball screens if they're in drop. How many times last season did we see Killian like switch onto a center? Yeah. And like try and take on that matchup. It's like that. He's like, you like to see that competitiveness from him, but like he also like fouled a ton in those situations or it was like was really handsy, like really reliant on getting steals and stuff, um, which is not great, like proper defensive technique. And so it's like there, there are definitely like pluses and minuses to all of the, the schemes that they could play. It's like the drop is going to be the more traditional scheme. Is like with a more traditional center in Duran as part of like the long term future, 
It's like, I, I would just want to see a little bit more of that for sure. Yeah. And I think it's real easy to say, oh, well, just switch with Stu, drop with Bagley, hard hedge or blitz this ball handler. Like it's easy to say that, but you know, I think people that have played in code, it's not that easy. It requires so much communication to defend this guy this way, this guy that way. We're only switching two through five, but not with the one, you know, those type of things. So it sounds awesome and sounds really cool, but it doesn't always play out that easy. Personnel is a huge part of this. Omari will remember like when Stan Van Gundy first got to the Pistons um, and the Josh Smith, Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond lineup, is like the the way Stan wanted to play defense. Like he had Greg Monroe like hedging at like twenty five feet. It's like that that did not work, right? And it's just like you have to be flexible with your with your defensive schemes, and you have to base it around your personnel for sure. Amari's shaking his head right now, like I was last week during the food conversations. Ugly times, ugly times. Yeah, uh, PTSD flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to. Beef Stew, again, who we mentioned earlier, what if Beef Stew really does shoot 35% from three on three attempts per game, Amari? We've talked a lot about this. I think you believe in it. What if he really does that, Amari? If he does that, uh, I think his extension price uh, next season goes up about $10 million, (laughs) 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 honestly. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that would... Uh, you know, basically solve a lot of the issues he has on offense where, you know, we talk about on the pod a lot, but, you know, he's not really a lob threat, not a great leaper, so he's got to be able to uh, space the floor, you know, and also him being about 6'8 or 6'9, um, you know, that's probably better for him long term anyway. Uh, 35%, uh, I think, is a pretty good over-under. Uh, his shot did look really good in summer league, and, you know, granted, his summer league, you know, like every year we see guys do things in summer league that doesn't necessarily translate to the regular season. Uh, but he just put so much work into that shot. So I guess for me, the question is less, you know, can he hit 35% because I think he can and more, does he get up to three attempts a game? Like, is he actively seeking out that shot, you know, to where he's getting that level of volume? Uh, you know, I think for me next season, uh, you probably just want to see the volume more so than the percentage. Like if you're getting like three or four threes up a game and you're pinning them on like a 32% clip, uh, I think that's probably better long-term than him. Shooting like 36%, but he's taking like, Point nine three is a game for him. I think I think volume is the key for sure. Laz, we've talked a lot about this on the Pistons Pulse. I'm really interested to see what you think and and where do you think those threes are going to come from? Because I always kind of think pick and pop, but it's also a chance maybe you just stick him in the corner. I know the corner, the corner in Dwayne Casey's offense is you know not a great place to be, depending on who you talk to. But where do you think those shots are going to come from? And what if this does happen from Stu? I think if something like this were to happen. It would be like a combination of the stuff we've talked about, right? It would be the pick and pop, but it would also be like the trailer in transition as they play a little bit faster, right? It would be um, if he's playing as like the spacing big and some of these like two big lineups we expect to see, it would be like some more catch and shoot stuff. And so like maybe you would get some like swing, swing Isaiah Stewart, like wing threes It's like, that's fine. It's like, I do. I think you'd see Isaiah Stewart like try and like fake dribble handoff and like some step back threes, like maybe towards the end of the year, if you shoot in 35%, like you, you let them go for stuff like that. But uh, the thing I would be most interested to see with this, it's like, if he does start to operate a little bit more as a floor spacer, do teams start to defend him out there? And does that open up stuff? Like, you know, does that open up rotations? Does it open out uh, the ability for like him to attack a closeout, which we've seen him do like in very sporadic flashes sometimes. Um, does that cause like, you know, 
the other small ball centers to have to like leave the paint a little bit more and that opened up driving lanes for like Cade and Ivy and Killian. And so I, I think the is like that would be good for Stewart to have a role off like a more clearly defined role offensively on the perimeter. But uh, that's also good for like his teammates to know like kind of how to play around that and how the defense will try and uh, attack that. So moving on to one of the rookies, Jaden Ivey, and I know you guys talk a lot about him over at DBB on your podcast. What if Jaden Ivey looks like rookie Dwayne Wade? Does this team make the play in? And I just want to give Dwayne Wade stats his rookie season. 16.2 points a game, four rebounds, four and a half assists, 1.4 steals, and he did average 3.2 turnovers. So what if, what if, we're not comparing Dwayne Wade to, to Jay Nivey. We're not doing that on the Pistons Pulse. We're just saying, what if he has that kind of rookie season? Is that what would maybe push this team over the hump into kind of consideration for a play-in game? I still say no, but at that point, it becomes more about the competition at the bottom of the East than uh, whether or not like the Pistons are a 25-win team. Right. If Jaden Ivey is going to play that well, if he's going to play in like a rookie of the year stratosphere, which is entirely possible, then it's like more about like what kind of a year does Atlanta have? Right. Like the Knicks are trying a whole bunch of stuff like are are they like the eighth seed or are they like the sixth seed? Um, you're thinking about teams like uh, thinking about teams like Miami. Right. Uh, they didn't do a whole lot and they had a, a big uh, loss in, in PJ Tucker. Charlotte's and, in flux last. We yeah, talked about exactly. this before the episode. Yeah, Washington, right? Like Washington just re-signed Beal to, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars. Like they probably want to start winning some games sometime soon. And so it becomes more about like what other teams are doing rather than like how good the Pistons do or don't look. But like, you know, I've been I've been critical of Jaden Ivey. Me and Ben have been critical on Jaden Ivey on the podcast. That's gotten us uh, a decent amount of flack. People like to be excited about their rookies. But if he if he played like rookie Dwayne Wade out of the gate, like, yeah, we, we'd be excited. We'd be that'd be a good thing. Like, I'd be all for it for sure. It's tough. I, I, I cheated and I put the uh, standings up from last season because I'm trying to find five teams that I think the Pistons will be better than. If Jaden Ivey came out and was immediately uh, was slightly above average shooting guard. And you have some swing teams, like, of course, the Hornets are in the flux. The Brooklyn Nets, like, who knows what's going to happen with that? Uh, you know, maybe now they're leaning more toward bringing back KD and Kyrie and just you know, praying that all those issues disappear. And, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say yes, just for the purpose of having a counterpoint to last. Um, I think if you have K, you have Jaden Ivey, and Jaden Ivey immediately just has a innate gift to get to the rim, uh, just causes havoc for opposing defenses every single night. Because uh, Wade was pretty efficient uh, his rookie season as well, uh, about 47%. You know, in the passing, of course, Wade was always uh, probably more of a point guard than a shooting guard, honestly. Like in today's league, he'd just, you know, be a, a point guard, I think. I'm going to say yes. Like, I like I, I think between K, between uh, Jaden Ivey, uh, Sadiq potentially making a year three leap, uh, I think you have enough on offense to get into the mix for sure. And you would need help. Like, you would need Brooklyn to fall apart. Uh, you know, maybe Brooklyn makes some trades at the deadline or something. You would need the Hornets to fall apart. Uh, maybe another team has injuries. But I think comfortably you're probably better than Indiana. Uh, you're better than Washington. Orlando is like a weird wild card, too, because Orlando's kind of been in the same boat as Detroit for a while. And, and they, of course, had a pretty good draft. Uh, Jonathan Isaac will probably be healthy. Uh, they have a lot of, you know, different guys where you kind of look at that team and you can kind of see them being maybe somewhat good next season. I feel like I'm talking myself into it. No, like the longer I go, the more I'm going to sort it down. Um. 
Yeah, you're allowed but to change I'm just your. Stick with the yes. You're allowed to change your opinion. <laughs> the East is tough, man. I want to ask real quick before we go to the first break here. What are the percent? What is your percentage chance that actually happens? What percent chance do you think it actually happens that Jay Nivey has that sort of rookie season? Laz, you go first. Uh, put it at like fifteen percent. Okay. Not out of the realm of possibility. Not likely but like definitely on the table. I don't want to rule it out for sure. Okay. Omari, what percentage chance? I'm going to go 25%. Um, Yeah, it's definitely on the table. Uh, It's just, you know, Wade was just really, really good as a rookie. It's like the thing with Ivy is just, like I do think that there's a realistic chance that like he's just so good at getting to the realm that, you know, a lot of issues are just going to solve themselves and we could be overthinking it. Uh, you know, especially if the Pistons have enough guys who can space the floor. So I'm going to go 25%. Like, I think it could happen, but I think more than likely, you know, he's probably having one good game out of every three games and one bad game out of every three games. Man, I thought I was the Jay Nivey fan on here, and I actually would have been less. I was like 10 to 15% would have been my answer. So I'm kind of surprised those percentages were as high as they were. We're going to take a short break here, but when we come back, we're going to take these what-ifs and go a little bit more negative with our perspective on those. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want to you try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're going to play the what-if game, but from a negative standpoint. So uh, this is going to be more so disaster scenarios and how the, and how the franchise pivots from here. And uh, the first one is a doozy, so I'm just going to apologize in advance because this is going to break hearts. But what if Cade Cunningham isn't the a face of the franchise type player? Which, to me, like, what if he's not quite Jason Tatum and it's more Chris Middleton, which is still a good outcome, but you're still looking for your Giannis. And where does that put the restoration of Cade isn't that guy? Uh, Laz, I'll go ahead and let you jump in this grenade first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, thanks for the tough one. Yeah, that'd be that would be really hard. <laughs> that would definitely mean you would want the team to not be good again this year, so you could have a chance at a guy like Scoot. I know Bryce is real big on Scoot. Uh, you can have a chance at like Victor. I know there's some other guys in the draft uh, at the top in like the top seven or so that people think of a real chance to be an impact player. So it's like, yeah, you would you would still be looking for your Giannis or you'd still be looking for your Chris Paul, but it would, it would have to come through the draft. Or if, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about trades and stuff a little bit later, maybe. Uh, it's like you'd have to look at like 
coalescing a Sadiq Bay and an, and an Isaiah Stewart into like a, a and some draft capital into like another like young star level type player, right? You'd be looking to turn those guys into like an, an Anthony Edwards, for example. Like I know Ant's not available, but like I'm just I'm just saying that as like an example of a name as a guy like I think is going to like be on that level. The other thing is like you could hope, you know, we talked about Jaden Ivey in the first segment being rookie Dwayne Wade. Is like maybe if the, on the fifteen to twenty percent, ten percent chance that actually happens, it's like Ivy ends up better than than Cade. Then like you're then it's like okay, well, it's the same plan. It's just Jaden Ivy is Cade and Cade's Jaden Ivy in this situation. Um, so yeah, there's because the Pistons is like I know this is year three and it's like it does kind of feel like the turnaround is coming. And I, I'm thinking back to a conversation I had with Sean Darenthal the year we drafted Cade before Cade was drafted. And the comparison he kept coming back to was a guy like Paul George. And you wouldn't call Paul George like a number one alpha type player on a championship team. But if you found another Paul George, like, you you know, you have two of those guys. It was like, absolutely. That's definitely like a conference finals contender. And from there, anything can happen. And so like, yeah, that'd be that'd be a little disappointing, though. I really think Kate has a chance to be like a top 15, top 10 player uh, in the NBA for for a time. And so that would be just like disappointing for me on a, on a personal level. But yeah, that's, 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 that's bad, but not crippling, I guess. You mentioned, I think that's important. It would be like, do we get stuck in the middle ground because he's good enough to not have a top two, three pick? Because I am, I'm high on Scoot Henderson. I don't think he would fit with the roster because I do think he's a run your entire offense type player. But if Cade's not the guy, then obviously he'd come into play. What, what would it look like? What would be the tale for you guys? Omari, first, what would be the tale for you? Like, man, maybe Cade's not the face of the franchise. Is there something that doesn't happen this season or progress that's not made this season that would make you start to question it because I think right now as we all sit right here we think he is the face of the franchise is there something that could happen this season Amari that would make you pause and go man maybe I was wrong yeah his efficiency uh, stand where it was last season you know because I think that was sort of the I mean I wouldn't call it a, a dark cloud but you know I think when everybody was talking about you know the wise national media leading toward uh first Evan Mobley and then uh, Scotty Barnes and this and that, I think they kind of looked at the numbers and they decided that, you know, when your number one pick is having a good year, but uh, I think his field goal percentage is like 41% and that uh, the shooting didn't immediately translate from college, uh, you know, that maybe he's being overtasked a little bit. And, you know, granted, like he really didn't have a lot of help last season. Uh, you know, Jeremy Grant missed 20 games. and Well, he missed more than 20 games, actually. Um, you know, so it was just sort of a a tough job. I mean, you know, Kate was getting double teamed, you know, like, you know, he was LeBron James essentially. And um, I think most rookies would not have great deficiency in that circumstance. Uh, but I think next season is year two. Uh, you expect him to improve in different ways. You certainly want him to become an average three point shooter uh, to justify the volume. And if his uh, percentages kind of stay where they are, maybe they improve slightly, but not quite to that point. Maybe you wonder, uh, you know, is he, being a little overtasked and you need to get another elite score next to him. Uh, like Luca was incredibly efficient as a rookie and a lot of number one picks in the past have had efficient rookie seasons, even though, you know, they were drafted on a bad team. So, you know, you, you can make excuses and say, well, the Pistons weren't good, this and that, but there have been rookies who, you know, so thrived under those circumstances. And uh, I think it's a talking point. So you definitely want to see K become more efficient. And I think having Jaden Ivey next to him will help 
immensely because he's going to take a lot of pressure off of him. So you won't be able to double team him to the same extent that you could last season. But yeah, I mean, I think if the efficiency kind of stays the same, then it's a valid conversation to have. Amari stole mine. I was also going to mention the efficiency. So the the other thing I would say is that um, if he didn't take the strides as a playmaker that we kind of expected him to take, um, it's like right now we think of him as like a Luka Doncic guy who could have the ball in his hands all the time. But if he stayed at like the assist rate he was at last year, um, you probably would want to find like another point guard, another like a slightly better distributor to put next to him. And that would change his role, right? Like you'd start to think of him more as like a Devin Booker than uh, a Luka Doncic. And like, yes, that's like still like an all-star, all-NBA level guy. But like it, it does change like what, you, what you're thinking of as like ideal around that type of player. I'm glad you brought that up because I was surprised about his volume of shot attempts in his rookie season. I thought he was going to be more of like that distributor playmaker. And I know it has to do with personnel and the guys around you and he has to play a certain role. So I would over the next couple seasons, if he doesn't fall into back into that as better talent comes around him, I will honestly be surprised. I'll be wrong about his archetype of player because I do think he was more in, I've said it now multiple times on the pod, the, the Luka Doncic where he is like kind of creating for everybody as well, not just scoring the ball. As we talk about Cade Cunningham, one thing I also like to talk about is his gravity. But what if his gravity in free agency isn't as strong as what we think? What if no big name free agents want to come play for Detroit? They got $60 million in cap space next offseason, Laz. What if nobody wants to come play for the Pistons? That would just be historically the same as it's always been in Detroit, I guess, right? You just, you'd have to construct uh, a team like through the draft and through trades like the other championship Pistons teams have done uh, in the past. It's like, we we do hope that Cade is like such a, like a transcendent star in Detroit that other guys like do want to come join him. But like, as we're seeing with the way the NBA is going, like you can't really rely on that anymore we're seeing as like as the as the extension numbers get bigger as guys are able to you know re-sign with their teams for more years and more money it seems like it's going to get harder and harder to get marquee free agents to even like become unrestricted free agents to to leave um and i know that's something that other the other you know other teams are really happy about because it, it sucks for them when your best player leaves or asks out but at least at least when you know a guy like a Kevin Durant asks for a trade or a guy like a Rudy Gobert in a situation like Donovan Mitchell blows up. It's like, at least, you know, you get 14 draft picks and like some interesting young guys to, to start the rebuild with versus, you know, you think about the, the wasteland that was the Cleveland Cavaliers after LeBron left, right? Like they got consecutive number one picks uh, in the draft for a reason because they were terrible. Um, and so, uh, but to bring it back around, like, like that would be disappointing, but it's the same as it ever was, right? We just got to like keep going through the draft and through trades. Yeah, I also think we overrate superstar uh, gravity in general. Like, I think realistically, you know, Kane's probably not going to be a guy that's like that LeBron James level. Like, guys will just sign up to want to play for him. And even LeBron James, <laughs> you know, ended up leaving to go to Miami and LA, which is the stereotype. But at the end of the day, uh, those are the only two teams that really have that gravity. Like, I don't think it's really about players, I think it's just location like there's nothing you know detroit or milwaukee or i mean even new york like there's nothing they can do to become la or miami and you know those franchises can you know attract guys even when 
uh, they have like meme rosters, you know, like <laughs> like you see the like what the Lakers had back in 2016. Like that was a meme roster, but you know they still end up with Anthony Davis and LeBron James a few years later. So yeah, I mean, I think the Pistons are always like regardless of how good they are, um, they're going to be the same as Milwaukee or any other team as a superstar where you know you're mostly acquiring you know star talent either through the draft or or you're doing what Philly did where they traded for James Harden and. You know, of course, you know, if you already have a start in place, uh, you know, I think it's easier for guys to accept being in that market, uh, you know, when the situation is good and, you know, you're playing for a talented roster. But, yeah, I, mean, I, like, I just I just I just don't think Detroit's ever going to be that. And it's not a knock on K or uh, Detroit or in general, but there's two franchises that uh, get that type of respect. And, uh, the Pistons are going to have to trade to get, you know, stars around K and they're going to have to develop them. And. Uh, that's just kind of how it goes. Like best case scenario, maybe you can attract like a PJ Tucker or Danny Green type of like elite role player that you need for playoff runs. But that's probably your best case scenario in free agency. What do you do with that sixty million then, Omari? Do you sign three role players? Maybe you overpay just a little bit, but you build out the rest of the roster. Do you take on bad contracts for future draft picks? What do you do with that sixty million next off season? Because I mean, it's going to be there. I mean, unless you keep Alec, Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel and Kelly Olynyk and some of these other contracts that we assume are coming off the books. What do you do with it, Omari, then? I think, one, you have some guys who are um, going to be extension eligible soon. So, you know, some of that will just sort of be absorbed by the fact that you have some players you need to pay. You know, I also think that the Pistons have six first-round picks. And, you know, historically, teams have that many first-round picks in a short span of time. You know, at, at most, maybe four of those players end up signing those long-term deals unless – you know, you're able to get a few of those players for less. But, I mean, K is probably going to be a max guy. Sadiq's obviously going to make a lot of money. You know, Isaiah Stewart, if he could shoot, you know, I think his price goes up a lot. You know, and then a few years, you're looking at Ivy and Durant as well. You know, so maybe there are some sign-and-trade opportunities. You say, no, we can't commit to this player, so we want to make a swing for another star. Like, I'm not saying they're going to trade for Bradley Beal, but something like that, uh, you know, where you have a player who um, is in the back half of their career, but, you want to win and they want to win and it just makes sense. Uh, you have some assets on the team, but you can kind of leverage and trade and you can take more, more, more contract back and uh, kind of correct your books in future seasons. Like it just gives you flexibility. Um, you know, I don't think you have to go on 60 million and you have to make a, like what Indiana did where they kind of made a play for DeAndre Ayton. Like, I don't think you have to do that. I think realistically, you're just like, this roster is going to be expensive, very expensive in two years. And we just kind of set ourselves up to be on the right track, like send the guys to one extent. Uh, prepare to hand out that big K contract in a couple of years and uh, maybe get a few high level road guys like, you know, you saw what Atlanta did with Danilo Gallinari and a few other players, um, you know, before they made that Eastern Conference Finals run. I mean, boring stuff compared to making a free agent run, but I think realistically, that's probably more likely. Seeing the Darius Garland extension was like a real moment. It was like, oh, snap. Like, we, like, you, it's really good to keep the books clean for the next couple of years because, like, Cade's going to get even more money than that and that's like almost 200 million dollars for a guy who's earned it and the guy and the guy is absolutely worth it but you know there's only there's only so many 200 million dollar contracts you can hand out on a team right so uh yeah it's definitely even if you have 60 million dollars in cap space it's still good to try to keep the books clean um maybe maybe you can like still rent out the cap space for as long as possible um to take on like bad money and and draft picks um, but yeah, the the time is coming very quickly when uh, that cap space is going to be eaten up by the, the by the extensions that Omari talked about for sure. 
Yeah, I think I like the idea of some bad money even next offseason. Assuming these guys all progress at the rate we want, like get some of those future draft picks like in 2027, 28, when the Pistons hopefully are good, their own draft picks aren't high, but maybe we can get another team's, you know, what may end up happening with the Houston Rockets, right? They may end up getting these Brooklyn Nets draft picks that end up being pretty valuable at a certain point. One guy neither of you guys or none of us mentioned in terms of extension was... Killian Hayes thought that was very interesting and he is our next what if what if Killian Hayes Laz actually gets traded at the NBA trade deadline this season so as a as a big Killian Hayes supporter as a big uh, Killian Hayes guy I'm kind of torn because if he did get traded uh to me that would mean that he showed something worth trading for which he hasn't always uh, over the course of his first couple seasons but it would also probably just mean that he hadn't shown enough uh to this point so he you'd end up in a situation where you know maybe he goes to like an okc or a or an, or an orlando that like is still you know in in a rebuilding situation but with like a longer runway than what the pistons are trying to accomplish and they can give him the time and space to to figure out the rest of his career um but like it's so rare to trade uh you know 21 year old top 10 draft picks even ones that have been just as disappointing as killian has been before like their restrictive free agency period even comes up um is like what what you would hope is that you know you can get killian in on like a cheap contract and that he pops in like year four or five and then like and then you have like a very solid like third guard on your team uh for for less money i'm thinking of like Jalen Brunson, right? Like Jalen Brunson was obviously much better than Killian was right away. Um, but Dallas like really missed the boat on an opportunity to extend him at the time when he was going to be a restricted free agent. Um, and then obviously he blows up this year, uh, leaves them kind of like leaves them in the lurch and uh, is going to make a, like a lot more money on his next deal. And obviously if he had just, if they had come to an agreement like before um, he'd be like one of the most uh, one of the best value contracts in the NBA for Dallas at this point. And instead, they, they have nothing. So like you'd, you'd like to have that. But yeah, if uh, if Killian was traded at the deadline, uh, I, I personally would be pretty, pretty disappointed. Uh, the, it's a long, a sad end to the ballot of Killian Hayes. Yeah. Another thing is um, when the Pistons drafted Killian, they had like no young ball handlers that they were building around. And then you look into Cade and then you look into Jaden Ivey and like now, uh, you know, your backcourt's pretty full. And uh, maybe when you draft a Killian, you kind of envision him maybe eventually becoming a player who could uh, be an above-average starter. And, you know, two years later, maybe his ceiling is closer to that of, like, a Derek White uh, type of player. And Derek White's still good. And, you know, you still need those guys on winning teams. But do you commit money uh, to a, another backcourt piece when uh, K is going to make a lot of money? And, you know, if Jaden Ivey becomes 70% of, like, his best-case scenario, he's going to make a lot of money as well. Um and you also know that the value you get from Killian, you could probably find a free agency or even just kind of do without it, honestly. Like, that's probably not the type of player you need. Uh, so I think if they traded Killian, it's just an acknowledgement that our backcourt situation changed very dramatically uh, since we drafted Killian. Yeah, you know, Killian does have NBA skill, but is that something we need to invest in right now? You know, when he's going to be eligible for an extension this time next year? And the answer might be no. And at the trade down, you could still kind of sell his potential, uh, particularly if he's shooting it a little bit better and just playing a little bit better than he has been. Like, yeah, like obviously it'll be an acknowledgement that you probably could have made better use of that seventh pick. But at the same time, 
thought you had no clue that you were going to draft Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, but you made that pick. And I think if you have Cade and Jaden Ivey, you are probably not crying yourself to sleep. So uh, it is what it is. I think I know where both of you are going to go with this. So neither of you would call this Troy Weaver's first significant miss. If if they end up having to move on, feeling like they have to move on from Killian Hayes at the trade deadline, would you call that it? Maybe there's something else you guys have feel like he's missed on. I don't think he's had like a super significant miss. We can, we can break down some little things, no doubt, but would this be in your opinion, his first significant miss as GM? I would say so. Yeah. Cause that's like your very first pick as GM. And, you know, we got a chance to get, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, who um, is going to probably end up being a top, you know, three player out of this draft. And uh, this draft as a whole, I think, is going to end up being a lot better than, uh, I mean, it already is a lot better than people thought it would be back then. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the Melo and Anthony Evers have been way better than anyone expected, not that the Pistons were going to draft them. But you got some players available at that self pick who would have fit the roster a little bit better. And, yeah, I mean, I, like, in the grand scheme, again, you have, you know, Cade and Jaden. So, you know, you're probably in the long run kind of final fit. But it is a miss just because there's players who went after Killian that are probably going to have much better careers. It'd definitely be a miss. I think Caden Ivey makes it less uh, significant than it otherwise, you know, would have been. But it definitely would, would be a miss on, a, on the part of Troy Weaver. Absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to take a short break, but I want to ask another one of the what ifs about Troy Weaver whenever we get back, and then we'll have a few more to round out the episode. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're going to wrap up with a few fun questions that we've missed uh, the first two go arounds. Okay, this is another one that's not fun. Like I got to lead <laughs> off with Kate, you know, not working out. And uh, no, this is another disaster scenario. Um, what if we aren't confident in Troy Weaver's vision by the end of the year? Because uh, I think right now, people probably think the confidence level is pretty high. So what happens in the span of a year where the parade has been thoroughly rained on and everyone's like, okay, I don't know if the team's on the track it needs to be on. Uh, last, here's your second grenade of the of the podcast for you to lead us off for. These, uh, these leadoff pitches are not very good. Yeah. Um, I think it would have to be something really drastic, like Ivy's not working out, Duran is not working out, um Bagley is kind of what we thought he was as a defender and and so he's uh, you know much worse defensively than offensively and the team is like on course to win like another 25 games I think stagnation would have people a lot more concerned in the vision of Troy Weaver than than anything else I think people expect maybe not a significant amount of progress to be made this year but some progress to be made and so if you don't see that from an encore perspective or from a like a wins and losses perspective that would definitely be uh something to not have confidence in Troy Weaver about by the end of the year. But this is, this is, that's, that's a real disaster scenario. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they'll lose faith. Even if, uh, even if the team doesn't go where people expect them to. 
I actually think there's a chance that people do, depending on, like you mentioned, Laz, how some of the young guys look. If, if Ivy doesn't look good, if Duran doesn't look good, if Marvin Bagley III may end up being the most polarizing player on the roster, right? The contract was very polarizing to begin with. If he doesn't look at least what he was in those 18 games or maybe better, I think people start questioning that. So I, you see little trickles of it here and there. And he's made enough decisions now where it's like you can start to really nitpick. I don't think any of them are you know, going to be like, oh my gosh. But I do think you could start to see the fan base question him just a little bit if some of the young guys don't say, show the progression and the talent that we're all expecting. Yeah, For me, I think there's two things um, that would probably lower the temperature of how people kind of feel about this team. Uh, I would say one, chemistry issues uh, for whatever reason. Uh, the two first round picks come in and they're not quite gelling the way you expect. Uh, not that I think two rookies coming in and not gelling immediately would be a cause for concern, but uh, maybe there are some locker room issues. Um, something happens chemistry wise that people are like, I don't know if these players can fit together. And especially when uh, your 2020 draft class is eligible for an extension, then maybe that kind of casts a shadow over the offseason as far as you know, which players that we commit to and why. Uh, so one, chemistry issues. Two, Pistons have a lot of cap space next summer. I forget which trade it was, but either when the Pistons traded for Tobias Harris or for Blake Griffin, Stan Van Gunny talked about basically doing your shopping early. And if at the trade deadline, uh, you know, some team's looking to get off of their superstar for whatever reason, and there's like a lot of red flags involved and Pistons say, um, so they go into the offseason with $60 million, we're just going to trade for a guy now and speed our timeline up. And I'm trying to think of like what a Blake Griffin equivalent would be where uh, Superstar comes in and obviously very talented, but also, uh, you know, on the wrong side of 30. And there's a real chance that it just ends up being a really bad contract in a couple of years. I can't think of a Superstar who would fit that definition. Maybe Kyrie. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, so here's the one, Mark. What if, what, if they, what if he traded for Ben Simmons at the trade deadline and it okay. didn't work out? Yes. Okay. So you trade for Ben Simmons at the trade deadline, and everybody's like, "Oh my God!" Like I'm terrified of the next few seasons because he's making a lot of money and he hasn't played in 16 months because of the back, and you know, obviously, just a lot of other concerns there. I, like I'm, I'm not going to say that that is more realistic because I don't think the Pistons are looking to speed their timeline up in like a drastic way. You know, especially when they have like six first round picks on the team. Like logically, there's no reason to do that. Or at least not for a superstar with like a lot of red flags. They are positioned to do that because they have the cap space. So I think that's probably the other thing where uh, people this time next year are like, we just traded for a player who doesn't fit. And we have all these players who are about to be extension eligible. And this is just a mess. So chemistry issues or training for a superstar that doesn't quite fit your timeline. Yeah, chemistry is a big thing, Um, especially like, as for as much as Troy Weaver has talked about how chemistry is such a priority for them to have a like chemistry, like locker room blow up would kind of like put a damper on like, what, like, what are we doing here? Will he start taking heat with Dwayne Casey? Because we've, we've talked about playing faster. We've talked about the switching defense. You guys brought up the chemistry, which by all accounts has been incredible through all of these losses the last, you know, three seasons. But do you think Troy Weaver could start getting some heat for saying, hey, Dwayne Casey's not the right guy. They need to move on. Maybe they need somebody younger. Maybe they need somebody with a, you know, a more creative basketball mind. Do you think that pressure will, because right now it's just, Dwayne Casey, but do you think he'll start being Troy Weaver's not going to do it or he needs to do it? Do you think that could start to happen if some of these scenarios play out? 
Uh, Dwayne predates uh, Troy, right? And normally the GM move is to fire the coach. Yeah. To save yourself. Sure. Um, and so, like, yeah, I could definitely see if that were the case. Like, you would see Dwayne kind of scapegoated more so than uh, than Troy blamed, for sure. Fans tend to blame the coach before the GM anyway. And I think um, you could also just kind of sell it as, like, you know, we're in year three, case in year two. Like, we want to win. Uh, you know, we're, we're not winning. Uh, yeah, like, I think that could just, if it goes that way, that would also be a pretty logical resolution. Let's do a fun one. Can we do a fun one? <laughs> Omari, your guy Wes set you up with these. He puts the outline in order, so you, he, you go talk to him. He set you up with the question last week, and then he had you with the Cade and the Troy Weaver questions this week. So I don't know, man. You know, I think I think Wes saw the, the accusations of uh, you know me and Wes being in cahoots against you. <laughs> this is the this is the kind of reaction. This is the cover. But yeah, let's do a fun one. Uh, all right, so obviously I am pro teal. Having pro teal, uh, Bryce, I know you are indifferent. Curious to hear Laz weigh in on this one. What if they bring back the teal uniforms for good? So I'm. Well, I sigh. Like not- you sighed immediately. <laughs> I'm not as anti-teal as I as I used to be. I I see how excited the kids are about the teal, and it's like as a new dad, it makes me excited when the kids are excited. So it's like, okay, kids, like have a thing, but you do have to like what the teal kind of like symbolizes as the franchise's desire to make a break from their first and first and like to that point, like only championship contender is is just like weird historically it is not the 1990s anymore like teal is not like in as a color like uh the charlotte hornets like had the teal better than us anyways it's just like let them have it if they really want it i will say that like the the horse like we can keep the horse head like i'm totally cool with the horse head the horse head rocks and the red alternates with the horse head like i'd love to see those again those in the rotation those would be great but yeah like someone like i think someone on twitter put it best is like i just have too many memories of like jerry stackhouse scoring 30 points on 32 shots in the teal for like me to like be able to fully embrace them and like that's basically exactly how i feel it's like too many like chucky atkins like threes in the, in the teals for me to ever be like truly embrace them yeah i like the red alternates the red alternates do not get discussed enough but those are probably the pistons wear red sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah they had oh man they were so fire you had they were just like all red alternate jerseys i want to say they wore uh from like 2006 to like 2008 or something like that but i'm pro tip but those, I, th- I think those jerseys are way better and uh, if they brought those back, I think it would have been much more of a universal yes, because the Pistons were also good when they wear those uniforms. The, the listeners know where I stand on this. Like, I just. I, I loved your rant last week about, like, I just want to watch the basketball. And it's like, I totally get you. It's like, that makes, like, yes. Like, normally I'd be right there with you, but, like, as a Pistons fans, I've been there where it's like they're they're losing sixty games this season. I need something else to look at besides the basketball, and like that's what the teal is there sometimes. For. I, I found the perfect video the other day. I need to find out if do you guys say GIF or GIF? One, what? I say GIF. I also say GIF. Okay, so I 
uh, they need to make it a GIF, but it's Derrick Rose at the All-Star game where all the other dudes come out and they're like dancing and getting into it. And Derrick Rose is just standing there stone faced. And I'm like, that is me. That is, that is my guy right there because that's what I, that's how I feel about this Teal conversation. Everybody's yelling and dancing and having an opinions and thoughts. And I'm just like, I just want to play basketball. I just want to watch basketball. I just want to break down some film. And so I, I was living it up whenever I saw that. All right, listeners, also, for, for those of you on audio, which is everybody, you should have seen <laughs> Wes's face when both me and Omari were like, we pronounced it as Jif. He, did, he, he was so flustered. He has no idea, like, why anyone would ever do that. You guys missed that. Yeah, it's like a pronunciation. Like, that's, like, GIF. GIF doesn't sound right. It sounds like gift. It's spelled, it's spelled like GIF. It's not, isn't it GIF, like the peanut butter spelled with a J? Yeah, but is it is it a giraffe? Like... No, it's a giraffe. Like the we English have, language uh, is yeah. whack anyway. I'm a teacher and I can't stand the English language. I'm a science teacher, but the English room is right next door. And they have sign. Like I listen, I'm like, I tell her all the time and she's an incredible teacher. She doesn't listen to the podcast, so she won't hear this, but maybe someone that does will tell her. But I'm like, this, the English language is so stupid. The way the spelling rules that get broken and the sound, like it's, it's crazy. And okay, speaking of peanut butter, Peanut butter and Lay's potato chips, Laz. Yes or no? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yes, we're going to do I, this the rest of the I, episode. I get what Omari was saying. No, don't. No, no, no. You're trying to play Switzerland but, like me. This is that, but, That's my job. I would not do that. Thank you. Right? Like Thank that you. that is not a thing like I would try or I would enjoy for sure. Okay. I have to okay. clarify. I, I'm being unfairly painted as the <laughs> peanut butter and Lay's chip guy. It was a mailbag question. And I, and, and I said I said I could see the vision. I don't I'm not like a peanut like I like I like peanut butter, but I'm just like walking around eating peanut butter and sa- like sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And you definitely were way more defensive of it than it had any right he to be. He went full Gordon Ramsay with <laughs> he went full Gordon Ramsay with the salty and the sweet and the savory. He like he's talking about all because this stuff. Because it makes like, sense. <laughs> because it makes sense. Like first of all, putting like chips and sandwiches in general is just like a thing. Like you make a turkey sandwich, you put chips in it. Like no, you like, don't. That's a thing. Yes, you don't. Like, like that's definitely a thing. No, like people add no, chips to sandwiches. <laughs> Thank you, Laz. <laughs> like, like, like that is the thing. I'm not making that up. Well, like a crunch, you put like a pickle in there, right? Yes. Like, like Thank that. you. No, but that's an entirely different flavor. The pickle is acidic. The chips are not acidic; oh, they're salty. See what I deal with on this episode <laughs> on this podcast, Laz. He goes, he's he's going Master Chef or whatever it's called. <laughs> so, so I will, I will, I will flip the conversation. It's like I, but I did agree with him. About the jelly no. on the on the chicken sandwich or on there the on the on the biscuit sandwiches because again like I you know, I live in North Carolina I've lived in North Carolina for like the last almost a decade now and it's like yeah that's that's the thing that happens and it's like I need I, clarification so you're yeah. talking like a, a breakfast like biscuit with yeah, like, sausage egg and cheese and then you put yeah. strawberry jam on it yeah that yeah. makes it's fantastic. Or like, or like you like, or you like dip, you like dip it in like some jam to like get some jam like on the sides, and you take. So, like so Amari's best argument was the McGriddle because that's essentially what a McGriddle is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you have you have sweet from the just like go. some sort of sweet element, so it could be jelly or like the McGriddle. You have like the maple syrup. Okay, like Bryce, have you ever had a maple bacon donut? Well, what? Or have you heard of it? A maple bacon donut. Like, have you ever what? put bacon on a donut with maple? Absolutely not. Why would I put stop, Laz? You don't no, believe this that's, either. That's really good. It's no. really good. Like it's really good. Like it's like it's, it's the same thing. You have salty and you have sweet. So like a bacon, egg, and cheese. Like you have bacon 
like egg is neutral. And then you have like, you put jelly or you can put maple or whatever else, but you just have some sort of sweet element and like it, it balances it out. So a maple bacon donut, if you've had that, it's really, really good. Bryce, get your hands on a maple bacon donut. I don't know. Like, I don't, like, I don't know where you're going to get one. Like we may have to send you one, uh, but it's really good. Yeah, Bryce. No, no, like ignore ignore the ignore the ch- the uh, breakfast sandwich thing. Like, yes, absolutely try a maple bacon donut. They are delicious. That is not a thing That's where a I thing. live. That's a real it's, thing. It's not, and I'm not, I'm not I'm not driving anywhere. I need people to like tweet me, DM me, send me, blow up my email. I don't care. Let me know if you guys have had a bacon maple donut because I don't actually believe the way Omari didn't believe that Dorothy Lynch was a real thing last episode. I don't believe that. That's somebody's auntie. That's not a dressing. (laughs) (laughs) Bryce, you're going to do a poll tomorrow. um, And you are going to. And you're, you're going to, and you're going to get ratio. Like you're going to get ratio. Like you've never been ratio before. <laughs> about the make uh, about the bacon maple donut. Yeah, yeah. like, oh, like universally, like universally, like it's going to be like ninety five percent yes, like five percent no. And the people who say like five percent no are going to be people who live in like Antarctica or something because they don't have access to it. I'm learning so much on this podcast though about food and cooking and 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 I love it. I also found out this week that Subway, like, where, where do you guys stand on Subway? Like, I got crushed for going to get Subway for my family the other night. Okay, so the chicken teriyaki sub and, like, the oven roasted chicken are pretty good. I don't trust any of their, like, deli meat. Uh, I don't trust their tuna. Their veggie subs are probably okay. But I haven't really, like, I used to eat Subway a lot more when they had the 500 foot longs. Now they're, like, $9. And it's, like, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's beyond... Uh, my value threshold for Subway. Like at that point, I'd rather just get something different. So I'd probably only had Subway once like the last five years. But back when you could get the chicken teriyaki for five bucks, like that was definitely a go-to for me. So my buddy got married in Charlevoix a couple weeks ago. And I was I was a groomsman like in his wedding party. And so like we're getting dressed and preparing and stuff at his house. at like his family's like house on the lake. And we get like in the ordered like Subway for us in order to like have food like before we like do the wedding and everything because who knows how long it's going to be before the reception hits and everything we get the subway sandwiches and we open them up and it's just like meat and cheese and bread there's like no lettuce no tomato no dressing no like sides of any sort on these sandwiches and we're like what like 12 year old at subway was like behind the counter and was like they don't want any <laughs> you needed some so, dorothy lynch you needed uh, some dorothy lynch to put on it that's a struggle, man. If somebody, like, if I was in middle school and somebody showed up with a Subway sandwich like that, it would have been, like, a 55-minute-long roast. Like, from the minute we sit down to the minute we go back to class, it just would have been straight. Like, like what and are you like, doing, man? And then, like, three weeks later, it was like, hey, remember when he brought in that Subway sandwich and it just, like, starts up all over again? Exactly. Yeah, and that's, like, it, and it becomes part of his legacy that he, <laughs> he brought that sandwich to school. Like, like you have, like, a reunion, like, 10 years later, and it's like, remember when he brought that busted sandwich? Like, what was wrong with you? Like, what was going on at home? So, Bryce, as long as your family got, like, actual, like, lettuce and tomato and sides on their sandwiches, I think Subway was, like, a fine choice to, like, feed your family. Also, you have three kids. I struggle feeding, like, one kid who doesn't eat real food all the way yet. So, it's like, yeah, if, like, at that point, it's like, I got to feed six humans. It's like, yeah, man, do whatever it takes. Okay, so that's what I wanted to – because someone was like, why are you getting your family? I was like, you know, they they said just go get the bread and the lunch meat and just make it at home. And I'm like – I ain't just making this for myself. One, 
I don't know if you guys agree or not. Everything tastes better when it's made by somebody else. That is a scientific fact. As a middle school science teacher, it has been scientifically proven that if it's made by somebody else, it tastes better. But you don't I agree. Thank you, Amari. Finally, we agree someone on something 25 episodes into the podcast. Because he finally said something that's just factually true and not a bad opinion. <laughs> it's, <me. laughs> it's not factual. Oh, I love what we, we have to, Wes, we got to make this the third segment every episode. Like, we just got to throw out a food topic and just let it roll because th- this is too much fun. So. It, it's not that simple for five people, though. Like you said, Laz, I got three little kids. One doesn't like this. My wife doesn't like vegetables. The other one is going to throw it across the room. Like, it's just easier to go get Subway. Yeah. I also didn't realize, like, you had the Twitter thread and you were saying that, like, the Walmart's, like, 30 minutes away and there's not a lot of options. So that's a little different. Like, if Subway's, like, the only option, then it's, like, okay, like, you're not driving by, like, whatever you think is a better option. Like, there's no Jersey Mike's down there. I would say, so that's what somebody said, go to Jersey Mike's and I pulled up my Google maps and it's the closest Jersey Mike's is literally 222 miles away from my house. So like, I, I know I play it up a little bit. I, I took a video the other day of me on the tractor that looked just like the GIF that somebody that Koo had sent me. But I'm like, I really do live out in the middle of nowhere and there's not just chain restaurants and chain stores, you know, a 10 minute drive. This is going to be our longest pod by far, but I just need a quick rundown. Uh, I'm going to throw out some some sub chains. So I got to figure out which ones you have access to, or at least encounter. So do you have Jimmy Johns? Uh, no. You don't have Jimmy Johns? Okay. In, in my town? Uh, anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> like, 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 can you get to one within a reasonable time frame? Well, reasonable time frame out here is different. Like, we're used to having to drive Jimmy Johns. Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes is a cutoff. No. In an hour, like that, like okay, so like I'm. I would 103 miles. 103 miles. Uh, Bryce is driving from Detroit to East Lansing for <laughs> 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 Yeah. Uh, okay. What about Quiznos? Like, is there are there any Quiznos around? Does Quiznos exist anymore? I think I Quiznos know. is gone. There was yeah, one Quiznos that was an hour away whenever I was a kid. So that's okay. somewhat a yes. Okay. What about Potbelly? No. Okay. Tubbies. I think Tubbies might be a Michigan thing, actually. I didn't yes, I, Michigan thing. Okay. never heard right, of so it. No, so no Tubbies. Tubbies is good. Okay. That's like all the, that's all the sub chains I know. Uh, I was like, okay, Bryce, do you have an air fryer? No. But okay. my the guy I coach with that lives down the street, he ha- he was using one the other day. And I went home and told my wife, like, hey, we need to get this. Like, this looks, she's worried that it's not big enough to, like, feed the whole family just with the air fryer, though. Yeah, it's it's not, but like it's it's still pretty good. So this was this was gonna happen. I'm gonna send you some maple bacon donuts, and and you're gonna reheat them in the air fryer to like keep them crispy, and like you're gonna eat this. You're gonna be like, wow, like Laz and Omari were absolutely right. Like I should have I should have listened to them. This maple bacon donut is delicious. I I yeah, will talk to you I will accept that. I will try it out for the sake of our friendships and the podcast. I will try it out. All right, man. This was too much. You're right, Omari. We probably went too long. Hopefully the listeners enjoy. I know I did, man. We've This is probably the most we've laughed and, and smiled and had a lot of fun. And Laz, thank you so much. Please pass it along to your wife. I, I understand her not listening to the episode, but thank her so much for letting us have you on your guys' anniversary and happy anniversary. Let everybody know where they can find you, everything you're doing, and you're incredible in the Pistons community. Well, thank you, Bryce and Omari, for for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. My wife is literally sleeping in the next room. She doesn't care. But you can follow me on Twitter, 
for more uh like you know family escapades and uh chance content and you know the occasional piston stuff uh, at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e madam if the legend just going to close this out real quick uh shout out to our editor carrie jr the second our executive producer Elizabeth delgado and our sports editor kirkman crawford uh, also, shout out to Wes, who was silently agreeing with me and, and, and last uh, during that entire 15-minute spiel. Uh, it's like peak offseason right now. Maybe we just do a pod that's like the four of us, and we just like hash out a food debate for like... We still got to talk about Batman. We haven't talked about Batman. We got to do a whole pod on that. Yeah, we haven't talked about Batman either, so... Hey, I, I, I went and saw Bullet Train last night. I feel like I'm up. I'm one-upping you in the movies, Omari. I've seen a few before you now. Yeah, I'm not going to see Bullet Train because I don't know why they put my man uh, Alfred from Atlanta in a wig. Like, I'm not seeing that. I don't support it. <laughs> well, I may have to see it so we could uh, actually talk about it on here because I haven't seen the last few movies that we talked about. Oh, no, he was he was one of the best characters in the movie. I had to look that up. I don't know what Atlanta is or who Alfred is, but he, he was one of the he was my favorite character in the movie. You got to watch it. All right, I'll go see it. I don't have a lot going on this week, so I'll go see it. Uh, anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week.